Well, it's been a huge blessing to spend time with you already today, and we're going to turn our attention to God's Word and what it has to say to us on the topic of family today. Um, it's, I hope it's felt as much to you as it has to me that we really are a family, and as everyone has served and blessed us in the many different ways they've done that today, I'm so thankful for every person who's a part of our church family. Um, but sometimes there's a bit of a tension. I don't know if you've ever felt it. Um, what's the, the connection between my natural family and all that I do in, in ministry and serving and leading in that context and how my church family works? You know, how, how are they meant to complement one another? How do I get the balance right of all the responsibilities and the scheduling and all the stuff that is a part of my natural family life and my church family life? And it's not always straightforward and simple. Um, and so we want to allow scripture to speak into that and we want to give uh, each of us the opportunity uh, to learn from one another as we then go and process that and discuss that and pray for each other as we seek to apply what the God's word has to say to us about uh, how our church family and our natural family, whatever that looks like for us, and it looks different for all of us, how that's meant to be something that is life-giving and enabling flourishing in both directions. Uh, last week, if you were here, I pointed out one of the wonderful prayers, and there are so many wonderful prayers in Scripture. It's such a great thing to just go through your Bible and find all those great prayers and to fold them into the way that you pray. And this is one I think is a great one for us out of the book of Philippians, where Paul says, I pray this, that your love will keep on growing. That's a great start, isn't it? Uh, you want to be a part of a community whose love keeps on growing, love for God and love for each other. But very specifically, he says, in knowledge and every kind of discernment. So no matter what part of your life you're thinking about, uh, Paul prays that your love would be growing in the ability to understand what God's will is for you in that part of your life. So that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. So we're going to ask God to uh, answer that same prayer, but very specifically, the area of discernment that we are asking God to speak to us about today is in the area of our family life. And, and we're going to ask some basic questions about what is our shared responsibility as a community of people following Jesus to children and to people who are married and to people who are not and to seniors and to people experiencing particular needs financially, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, and in all the other areas of life where we have needs. What, what's our responsibility as a church family to love one another according to all of God's knowledge and discernment in each of those specific ways? And what's my responsibility in my natural family to be doing that? And how does my responsibility as a husband and dad and as a son and grandson intersect with my responsibilities as a member of a church family? Uh, and how can they help one another and, and not get in each other's way? That's the sort of stuff that we're going to be thinking about today. What is our shared responsibility in each of those areas? And just as importantly, what's not? Because if, if I take responsibility for things that I ought not to take responsibility for, that can be damaging too. Taking too little responsibility, yeah, that can cause problems. Taking too much responsibility, that can cause problems. What does God actually want us to do? Let's not do more, let's not do less. Let's just do what God wants us to do and experience the blessings that come from that. So we're going to turn to a scripture which actually, in one specific application, applies the basic principles that you see repeated over and over and over again in God's Word. So I invite you to turn to 1 Timothy 5. 
as we seek to navigate uh, this issue together of what ought we do as a church, what should we be doing as members of natural families, and how do those two things work together well, so that we're doing what we ought to do and not what we ought not to do. 1 Timothy and chapter 5 is where we're going to pick up from God's Word together today. And as I say every week, um, it's great to see it on a screen. It's even better when you've got it in your lap with you so that it's yours. You can take it wherever you go and you're familiar with it. 1 Timothy 5 starts like this. Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. And straight away, I hope there's some things that are just leaping to your attention here. Now, if you're not familiar, the person who is being written to here, Timothy, is a single man who is working uh, in a church. He's been travelling all around the place um, as different needs have arisen, as he's worked in cooperation with uh, his mentor, the Apostle Paul. Paul's left, left him in a place called Ephesus. He is pastoring that church. He is far away from his family of origin. Um, so while they're like a, a technology that Albert mentioned earlier, while today we might have WhatsApp and emails and all that sort of stuff, not the same deal back then. So he, he's removed from his natural family context. He's in a church as a single man. So the life of the church family is taking most of his attention. That's not everyone in their church. Um, there'll be people who have natural families all around them and they'll be in different kind of circumstances. But yet for Timothy, as he's uh, somebody without a natural family all around him, uh, what does Paul say to do? Hey, you've still got family. You're a part of a church family. Treat those older men there as fathers, the younger men as brothers, older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters. So whatever your family circumstance is, whether you're uh, closer to Timothy's situation where you feel like you're on your own and you don't have natural family around you, or whether you're perhaps more like mine where you've got kids all over the place and, and, and a very busy family life, whatever your family circumstance might be, you do have church family. You are in a family if you are a follower of Jesus. Don't forget that. Don't neglect that. That is a true reality for all of us. And we are meant to think of one another in familial terms. We're meant to think of each other as spiritual fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters. All of us. So if I look at some of the, the young people who have walked out uh, towards kids' church, I'm meant to think of them in family terms. I'm like Uncle Mike or something. You know? so, so I'm meant to think of them as, as people I have a real family bond with. Um, one thing that leaps out of the page uh, here for me is, as Paul writes to Timothy about what this means, he says what? Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Now, that's weird, because Paul also said to Timothy um, that the scripture which was breathed out by God is useful for teaching and rebuking. So what, what Paul is saying is, just because the Bible says that you've been given this tool in the scriptures that is useful for rebuking, doesn't mean you have to do that all the time and in all situations. It's not actually appropriate for you as a younger man to call out an older man in your congregation as though he was some naughty school kid. That's just not cool. Think about the wisdom, and this is the prayer of Philippians, what's wise here? Just because you know a few Bible verses doesn't mean that's, that's what you ought to do. You need God to guide you. What is the wise way to treat an older man? Well, if I'm thinking about him in family terms, how would I deal with my dad if my dad was out of the line? That's what Paul's asking Timothy to consider. Maybe, maybe do it that way. <laughs> um, brothers, do we tend to rebuke each other a bit? Yeah. 
don't we? Um, not hopefully harshly or cruelly, but it's a bit more robust in that situation because the relationship is that kind of relationship. If you've ever had children in your home, they rebuke each other all the time, don't they? So um, do we want them just doing it according to how they feel? No. Do what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and use scripture to make sure you're doing it biblically and the way God wants you to, not just the way that you feel like in the argy-bargy of family life. So Paul's writing to Timothy very practically and saying, hey, um, consider church to be your family and treat the people in your church as family. That's what God wants his church to be like. I remember um, talking to, actually I was listening to um, an, an adult son of a retired minister speak and he said that he was so thankful when his dad retired because then he got a dad and my heart broke (laughs) because I'm a minister too and I know sometimes I veer in that direction and I don't always fulfill my responsibilities to my natural family because I'm so conscious of my responsibilities to my church family. Now I don't know where you are on that spectrum, you might be at the other end of the spectrum where you're so concerned about what goes on in your natural family, you're not giving your church family a second thought. Paul's writing to Timothy to help him get that right. And to help all of us get that right. So let's tune in to a very practical way that he does that. And he speaks to a specific circumstance, but the principles that he speaks to are super, super helpful for us. So let's read on. Support widows who are genuinely in need. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first. And to repay their parents for this pleases God. The widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also, so they will be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, this might seem a little bit harsh in places, and particularly when you read on as Paul gives more very practical instructions. Um, And if you don't know the context of what's going on, it might feel that way. Um, But what you need to know as the backdrop is Paul himself has participated in a very generous church that uh, cares uh, very uh, thoroughly and generously for those who are in need. He is not concerned here about the church budget. Um, He's not trying to be stingy. He's not saying, well, if you want something from us, you better earn it. There there is nothing kind of miserly or unloving in his attitude here. I mean, think about where Paul has come from. Think about the teachings of Jesus that have influenced not only Paul, but the whole church. And you read about how it's influenced in the early chapters of Acts. But Jesus himself said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, the early Christians were gripped by this life-changing principle. And so you read in the book of Acts, as people are learning to build their lives on the foundation of the apostles' teachings, which they're passing on from Jesus, um, uh, you've got guys like Barnabas, who was... Paul's mentor, selling their possessions and goods, bringing the money and putting it at the apostles' feet to be distributed among the widows and those who were in need. 
Um, and you see that that ministry became so huge in the early church, they had to appoint a whole uh, uh, leadership team just to manage the practicalities of making sure that all of that aid that was being given was being uh, given and managed appropriately. Um, and it was seen as a very significant responsibility in the early church. And you, when you look at the apostles as they describe to the early church, these are the kind of people who we want to put in charge of making sure that widows get support from the church. They were men who were full of wisdom and the spirit and who had a great reputation. They wanted to make sure that this ministry was done very, very well. When you read Paul's letters to churches, he's encouraging generosity and he's celebrating it when he sees it. So Paul is not being stingy and trying to put barriers in the way of people receiving the help that they need. So what's, um, what's actually going on here? I love this quote. Uh, it's, this is from a guy who is known um, kind of in uh, church world as Julian the Apostate. You see, Christianity had been spreading like wildfire in the Roman Empire, and he came in and said, I want to take us back to the old ways. I want to go uh, back to the way things were before those meddlesome Christians, you know, started um, you know, converting everyone to their cause. And by the way, as you'll see here, uh, in his mind, Christians uh, were Galileans. They followed this teacher who'd come from Galilee. So that, that explains that. And he says, writing to priests and, and leaders in, in the um, traditional Roman religions that he's trying to re-establish, he says, for it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg, so he's noticed that in Jewish communities, they look after their poor and needy uh, very effectively, while no Jew ha ever has to beg, and the impious Galileans, why are, why are these Christians being called impious? Because they don't join in with all of the Roman religious stuff. You know, they, they follow the one true God. They don't you know, celebrate the emperor as, as a God and, and various other Roman deities. The impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but it even overflows from that, but ours as well. And all men see that our people lack aid even from us. So here we have a few centuries later on uh, the continuation of this culture in the church of radical generosity. Uh, that people like the Apostle Paul have seen, witnessed, been a part of, practiced, taught others, because it's a huge part of our witness. Uh, we, we do good not only to those who are a part of our community, but we just want to do good to everyone. We want everyone to know that God loves them. Um, and so, uh, so this is not something that Paul is trying to kind of scale back. You know, oh, come on, you guys, not everyone deserves it. No, he's not doing that at all. What's he doing? There's a very easy slide that happens when you want to help somebody, but you actually slip over into hurting instead. Have you ever seen that happen? When, when good intentions actually lead to bad outcomes. And uh, I reckon you've probably seen that in, in family and I reckon you've probably seen it in society. Um, and we'll explore what that is looking like in the early church as Paul speaks. He says, support widows who are genuinely in need. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents for this pleases God. Paul's not trying to save money for the church here. What he's trying to save is people who, if the church steps in and looks after the widows in their family, they won't be fulfilling their God-given calling. They won't be returning the love and care that they receive from their parents or grandparents as they ought to do, because somebody else has stepped in and done it for them. Paul says, don't do that. Don't rob people of the opportunity to do what God wants them to do. 
to do what is going to be a blessing not only to those people who are in their family who need to feel appreciated and cared for by their own family, but it also robs them of that sense of, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm taking responsibility. I'm doing what I ought to do. And that's a blessing. There's a cost to it, but it's a blessing when you're obedient. It pleases God. And Paul says to, these, uh, uh, to uh, Timothy as he pastors the church, don't let the church as an institution take on what God said families ought to do. That's a really important principle that Paul is driving home here. He wants Christian children and grandchildren to love, respect and care for their families. And if you notice that maybe it's an auntie or an uncle or somebody else who's part of your family, yeah, care for them too. Let it, let it flow outward. Your natural family matters to God and it pleases him when you look after it. But that's not all Paul is concerned about. As we read on from verse 5, the widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also so they will be above reproach. Now, what's Paul trying to protect here? Well, he's, he's protecting the dignity of all of these widows, these older women. They are not charity cases. They are not a burden on the church. They are not a burden on families. And to think of any human being in those kind of categories is to disrespect not only them, but their maker. They contribute meaningfully by God's design. Now, in that uh, society, they didn't perhaps have the opportunity to contribute financially uh, because of the way society was structured and, structured and the opportunities they had. But the thing that Paul celebrates here is the fact that as uh, people who have learnt to depend on God because their circumstances are suddenly very difficult, they have learnt about prayer. And they're not just able to pray for their own circumstances. God, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to feed myself? They're actually able to use those lessons about prayer and utter dependence on God to pray for their church family. And does that matter? Just waiting to see enough heads. Yes, it matters. <laughs> Absolutely it matters. Does prayer matter as much as money? Yes, thank you very much. I was hoping somebody would be brave enough to yell that out. Of course it does. It matters even more than that. So Paul's pointing out, hey, these ladies are really excellently equipped to contribute to their natural family as they pray for them, to their church family as they pray for the church, in ways that matter much more than whatever it costs to cover your earthly needs. Don't disrespect, disregard, push to the side. These are important members of your family, it is a natural family. These are important members of your church family. And as you read further down in 1 Timothy 5, it goes on to talk about practical acts of service. As you read what Paul wrote to Titus, it talks about the value of their discipleship of younger women, for example. There are so many ways that every single member of our church family has been designed by God to contribute. And as we think about these older uh, women who are widowed, as Paul is addressing now, um, and who their society was inclined to just push to the side, he said, no way. These are important, valued, contributing members of your community, whether it's your family or your church family. Don't you dare treat them as charity cases. And if they're not inclined to contribute, well, you actually need to help them see how important that is by being not inclined to pay their bills. Why? Because you don't want to facilitate that low sense of who they are that says, oh, well, all I am is a charity case, all I am is a financial burden. They're not. 
And if they've learned to see themselves that way because life's been hard or their family neglected them or whatever happened to get them to that point, you need to help them to say, hey, we want to support you, but you need to also support us. It's got to be a two-way thing. It's not going to be just a one-way financial thing. And as we do that, as kind of tough as that sounds, we're actually growing their dignity. We're empowering them. We're releasing them. We're letting them step into all that God has created them to be. Don't miss that by just being generous without anything else in, in your mind. Make sure you're generous and wise and empowering. Treat them as family not as charity cases. And that's what his uh, attention is on in verses 5 to 7. And he concludes all this as he returns his, his attention to the responsibilities that Christians have to their own families. He goes back to that and says, But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, what Paul means by that is not that they've denied uh, the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ and his return. Um, he's not talking about every detail of our faith, but our faith covers how God has called us to live and act. And if you don't do what Paul is challenging you to do, to take responsibility for treating your own natural family as well as your church family in the ways that God has asked us to do that, you've actually denied an aspect of the faith, which is very, very important. Um, and Paul, is, when he says he's even worse than an unbeliever, it's not as though he's saying, hey, we Christians are, are fantastic and people who don't follow Jesus are scumbags. It's not saying that at all. What he's saying is in this particular area, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are somebody who has been given the faith as Jesus handed it to the apostles, as the scriptures preserve for us, then you know that you ought to not only provide financially for your family uh, as, as you are able to, but that you also ought to give them respect and honour, and obedience, and nurture, and all of those other things that God wants us to do for one another. Now, when, when he says, if you're not providing financially as you're able to, you're even worse than an unbeliever, he's saying, well, look, our standard has been set here. If you're not even willing to pay the bills, even those who don't know about what God's calling for family is, most people know that they should at least do that. So if somebody, as somebody who knows all of this and doesn't even do that, then you're basically living as somebody who's not even living up to the standards of this world, let alone the standards of our God. That's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Is that the kind of people we want to be? And Paul's really wanting to drive home this point. No, that's not what you want to be like. So it's an interesting uh, issue for us when it comes to this because we're living in a, in a society where because of... Um, a desire to do well, the state, the government takes a lot of that responsibility off us, doesn't it? And so for families, sometimes it's, oh, well, that's okay, there's, there's a pension or whatever. And, you know, that's the world we live in. Aren't we grateful that we have a government that looks after its citizens? That's fantastic. But the danger is that we might neglect our responsibility. Um, and even if the bills are paid, is that all that your grandparents need? Is that all that you know, that elderly aunt or whoever it is in your natural family, is that all that the seniors in our church congregation need? No. They need it. Let's make sure it's being covered. That's not all they need. They need respect. They need to be invited into things and included. They need to be listened to. Uh, they need connection with those who are very young. I was watching a couple of interactions on Wednesday night with somebody who's on the north side of 70. Um, <laughs> That's, that's nice and safe. I'm not going to get into trouble for that one. Um, and somebody who's on the south side of seven. You know, and, and just to see how those beautiful interactions, do, do they need that? Yes. 
Um, that's what church is, what it does. I hope that you have some of that happening in your natural family. But I know that you have it in church family. The balance of where you are experiencing it, that'll be different for every person. And we need wisdom to figure that out. But let's make sure that we all have it. So when we come back to our, our focus, what's our responsibilities to children, people who are married, people who are not seniors? Well, that's been the focus of this particular passage. People experiencing uh, particular needs, financially, spiritually, relationally. Um, if, if we could sum up what Paul has been applying as principles to help us to navigate that, uh, I, would, I would do it like this. One, every person should have their needs met and be involved in meeting the needs of others. It's got to be that two-way thing. Um, it's not just, here, you need money, we'll give it to you, and that's the end of it. No, no, no. Um, as Paul's saying in the relationship with widows, everyone has a way of contributing. Um, whether you're very, very young, very, very old, in between, no matter what your financial circumstances are, no matter what the condition of your relationships is, no matter what the details of your life are, we as a church family and your natural family have God-given responsibilities to meet your needs. Now, I can't speak as to how that's going in your natural family. I want to support you in nurturing that to make it go well. But as a church family, we can all take responsibility for how it happens among us. Let's make sure we're meeting each other's needs. But let's make sure that we're also reminding people that they have a role to meet our needs as well. And they have a role to meet the needs of their family as well. Let's not neglect either part of that transaction. Every person should have their needs met and be involved in meeting the needs of others. In 1 Timothy 5... It's more money going that way, more prayers going this way. That's cool because both are really important. Whatever that looks like, uh, let's nurture that. Let's go after that. Number two, every person who is in a natural family should be expected and supported to fulfill their God-given roles. That's where Paul says to Timothy, hey, don't let the church step in. What you're to do as a pastor is to make sure those families do what they're supposed to do well. So the question I have for us is, what is that going to look like for us to nurture our natural families in the context of a church family to make sure that we are playing our God-given roles well? What does that actually look like for us? Well, I can address some, I guess, some practical areas of application uh, really simply. <laughs> we do stuff like youth group and kids' church and so on, and as Carolyn explained, we're not trying to take responsibility away from parents, but we are trying to support you by making sure that you've got a space that you can learn and grow while your children are being invested in by somebody else. And we try and communicate really regularly so you know what they're learning and so that you can ask questions and be involved and so it feels like a, we're a team working together. But we don't want to take too much responsibility. As a Christian parent, if you think it's your, your Christian school or your church's job to disciple your children and teach them the Bible, uh-uh. God gave responsibility to the natural family first. Don't give that responsibility away for, for, to anybody. Yes, recruit a great team of helpers. <laughs> you know, wow, we've got amazing supports out there. But don't, don't think that they own the job, it's yours. And as a church family, we want to remind you of that. And we're not going to step in and do the things that you ought to do. This is your job, but we want to support you and encourage you really well in that. And how we do that? Well, we have to figure that out. You know, is the way that we set up our, our current services the best format for you? Is, you know, we're going to have ongoing conversations to do that better and better, um, but the principle won't change. We expect you to fulfil your role in your family, whether you're a grandson, son, husband, father, what have I left out there? 
<laughs> whether you're doing life on your own or change that to a female sense. I won't go through them, but you know where they are. Um, whatever that is, let's do it well. So the way we structure our programs, that matters. The way we structure our facility. Why did we spend all that money on a playground and a shade thingy and cover the patio? Because we want to let parents be close enough to be able to supervise their kids. That's their job. But we don't want them to be out in a playground all by themselves and, and feeling disconnected from their church family. We want to make sure that everyone can join and mingle in ways that, that let family happen and let support and encouragement happen. That's why that money was spent. Um, and you, you could go through each part of our church program. What I want to focus in on is small groups. I'm part of a group of guys that meet every couple of weeks. Um, and our job is to help each other grow as followers of Jesus. Guess what takes a huge proportion of our time? talking about family huge proportion something else that takes a big proportion of our time talking about work because <laughs> you know we're all in that situation in life as well um, and that's what church is for um, I might know a lot of stuff up here about what a dad's supposed to do but I might be in the middle of feeling like oh man I'm just not cutting it uh, I need guys around me who can encourage pick me up when I'm feeling down, give a bit of biblical uh, input to me, pray for me. I need that. Um, and I've got to have the relationships that are robust enough that if they see me neglecting it, they'll say, hey, Mike, um, you've been out every night this week. Tell me about the best conversation you had with, with each of your kids. <laughs> wow, what a gift. Don't want to neglect that. So, so I think we need that. Guys, let the church be a part of helping you do what God's called you to do. That's what we're here for. How we roster, how you roster. What do you mean, how do I roster? You know, as, as we put you involved in areas of service, if we overschedule you so that you're feeling stressed every time you come to church and you're yelling at the kids, we're not helping you and your family. We want you to be sitting in a service enjoying your time with your kids. Similarly, when you fill your life with stuff that means that your kids and you can't participate in your church family life, well, you're not doing the right thing according to how the Bible says to treat your church family. Let's, let's own that. Let's think about that. This stuff matters. So what I want you to do as we finish up our time together is to just look at those and ask the Holy Spirit to convict you. So how's it looking for me in my natural family life? Do I feel like I'm, I'm on track with what God asks me to do in my family? such a huge topic the holy spirit might speak to you on one specific relationship or one specific habit or whatever that might be and in my church family life and how we live with each other every age every life stage every circumstance am i, am I fulfilling what god says we ought to be doing as family for each other and how are how are they helping each other um, because they do when we do it the way god's called us to do it so i'm going to pray and i'm going to give a bit of time for us to think about that let's pray God, family is your design. Right from the very beginning of human history, as we read in the book of Genesis, you created family. Family is really good for us. It's not easy, and it never goes according to your perfect plan because we are living, living in a fallen world. But thank you that even despite the challenges, that it is one of your many good gifts. So help us to think of our church as a family, um, and perhaps not in the same way that uh, reflects the, um, the limitations or the dysfunctions of, of our natural families, but help us to see it in the eyes of Scripture, the way you want families to be, and to pursue that and allow it to be a blessing in our lives and to the lives of others. 
Lord, would you bring us a deep conviction as we think about our role as fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters to one another in a church family? What does that require of us? What difference does it make if we play that role well or if we neglect that role? How are we loving each other and growing in that, in our knowledge and our depth of insight? Lord, would you bring us just a sense of clarity about what our responsibility to our church family is and perhaps even to specific members of our church family? Are there people that you are calling us to invest ourselves in and to meet the needs of? But God, we also need to keep in tension with that, our responsibilities to our natural families. Lord, that is our our first calling. And as Paul says to Timothy, uh, for the church to step in and take that over, or for the state to do it, that's actually harming families from being all that you want them to be. So God, would you bring us conviction about our attitude toward our families, to our role in our families? Would you um, enlarge our uh, imagination about what that could look like for us this week or this year? May our families be healthy by your grace. May you help us to deal with the impacts of living in a fallen world and all of the struggle that that introduces into our families. Lord, heal hurts. Lord, give us faith to keep persevering and loving the way that you call us to. Lord, would you give us the humility and the grace to be open and to support one another in how we have conversations together as a church family about how we do what we do together and how we support each other in our natural families, in all of the roles that we have there. Lord, bless us in this part of our lives. It's so important to you and to us. We want to bring you pleasure, just as 1 Timothy talks about. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Saviour, who makes a new life possible through his death and resurrection. Amen.